0: Heat waves are sweeping across the northern hemisphere. With them come more severe and long-lasting wildfires. Is this all down to climate change, and is it too late to do anything about it? I'm Bernard Smith, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests all in the United Kingdom today. From Woking is Stephen Cornelius, Deputy Practice Leader for Climate Change and Energy at World Wildlife Fund International. In Reading is Nigel Arnold, climate scientist and professor in the Department of Meteorology at the University of Reading. And in Swansea is Stefan Dürr, professor of wildland fire science. A warm welcome to you all. Stephen, these particular heat waves we're seeing now, are they a product of global warming or freak weather events?
1: Thanks, Bennett. So I think, um, I mean, a point you, you've made is, you know, these things happen naturally, but, you know, what is happening is that climate change is making them making them worse. So, you know, the science uh, is clear from the IPCC uh, over the last year, there's been three reports that have come out, which, and one, and one of the new bits of science is the attribu- attribution between the sort of human fingerprint and extreme weather events such as we're seeing. So, you know, as the temperature rises, you're more likely to see heat waves, um, you're more likely to see um, other extreme weather events and uh, events that are associated, such as wildfires.
0: Nigel, do, do you do you see that that this these are not freak weather events, they're made made worse by climate change?
2: Oh, they're definitely exaggerated by climate change and by human emissions of greenhouse gases. It's very clear that these emissions have increased temperatures, Um, just rising temperatures alone would mean we have an increased chance of heat waves. But of course, as the Earth warms up, then weather systems are disrupted and so on. So it changes the frequency of the sorts of extreme uh, environmental conditions that we're seeing at the moment. So I think climate change is definitely behind the increased frequency of heat waves that we're seeing, particularly this year.
0: Stefan, your specialisation is wildfires. We're seeing them now in Europe and in uh, North Africa particularly. How much worse are they getting? How much more severe are they than they might once have been?
3: Well, they're clearly more severe under those very, very dry uh, and warm conditions, because if you have a prolonged period of dry weather like we've had, combined with a lot of heat, that will evaporate more, more water from the vegetation and that makes it more flammable. So... For a given fire, the fire is then likely to be more extreme and much more difficult for the fire services to deal with.
0: Okay, and St- Stephen, these more bigger heat waves across Western Europe are they then more likely down uh, down to climate change than say more localised ones that you sometimes get over perhaps just parts of the UK or or parts of France?
1: Well, I mean, I think a point is that you know it's not just um, in the north that this is happening. You've you've had no. you know, last year huge heat waves in India and Pakistan, um, earlier this year in Argentina and much of Latin America. So I think it's happening over the world. And so you know, as I said, as temperature rises um, on average, you're more likely to get these extreme weather events. And it may be um, you know such as in Canada last year where you had that huge heat wave over over um, western Canada. Yeah, it's it, you can have these localized or relatively localized effects.
0: Uh, and Nigel, I know there's a, there's a, I think a calculation used called extreme event attribution uh, for uh, calculating, uh, for helping to understand these extreme weather incidents. Can you help us understand what that is?
2: Yeah, well, in a sense, this um, process called extreme event attribution it looks at the chance of experiencing the sort of event we got now under current conditions, with the chance that of it happening under the conditions that would have pertained if we hadn't increased greenhouse gases, it's like running a counterfactual world. Um, and these sorts of studies have demonstrated that the heat waves that we've experienced recently in many parts of the world are um, they're much, much more likely now than they would have been without the increasing concentration of greenhouse gases. Some of them are 10, 20 times more likely. Some of them just physically wouldn't have happened without the increasing concentrations that we've seen. So the example of the heat dome in in Western US and Canada last year, there's an argument that that sort of thing just wouldn't have happened without the general increase in temperatures that we've seen because of the increasing concentration of greenhouse gases.
0: And the wildfires that they bring, Stefan, what is the long-term damage that they're doing?
3: Well, there's a range of things to consider, of course, the, the human impact directly, or rather the impact on humans, um, direct death, but also something that's often not considered is the smoke emissions. So about 300,000 people around the world die prematurely just from wildfire smoke. So that's just the smoke generated by the fires themselves. Then we have uh, huge biodiversity loss if the fires are especially large or especially severe, like we've seen in 2019, 20 in Australia where the fires in that year were over 10 times larger than what you would usually get. So fires are common in many places, also in the Mediterranean, in Australia, in Canada, but it's the actual size of those events and it's those severity with which they burn that bring the extreme impact.
0: Stephen, you mentioned India just before. Delhi, they've had 25 days so far over 42 degrees. This year, and India now wants help from rich countries funding to build early, early warning systems uh, to prepare for extreme weather events. Is that where we're at now—the mitigation stage rather than the, the prevention stage?
1: So, I think there's a couple of things. So, clearly, you know, climate change is happening at the, the around one point one degrees um, warming that we've had so far, um, and, and, and more in, in some countries. And so, there's you know. We will see more of these events and we will see them probably worse because temperatures are going to continue to rise and the only way that we can stop them rising is by cutting greenhouse gas emissions so cutting coal oil and gas emissions um, emissions from coal oil and gas the second point i think is um is you know how do we build our resilience how do we um use the word mitigate but how, how do we make the impact of these lesser and so we we do need to do both and developed countries have promised um, through, um, through the UNFCCC and the, the Paris Agreement and the, and the COP in Glasgow to mobilise $100 million a year. And some of that will be for cutting emissions. Some of that needs to be for adaptation and, and building resilience of countries.
0: Nigel, March was the hottest year in India since records began 122 years ago. Um, is this a new normal, not just in India but in the rest of the world?
2: I think, unfortunately, it is. Um, We can expect temperatures to be continually going up until we reduce emissions, and we might want to talk about that in in a moment. Um, But I think it's almost inevitable that we will see each year new records being broken across the globe. And one of the uh, unsettling aspects of it is it's it's, it's not just in one place, it's everywhere. Um, Records broken everywhere, I think, is really quite uh, saddening uh, about the state that we're in at the moment.
0: And, and are you seeing Stefan in parts of the world where you wouldn't ordinarily have had major wildfires? Things are happening that wouldn't normally happen in uh, outside of Western Europe. I'm thinking particularly.
3: Well, absolutely, and even within Western Europe, we, we're seeing um, increases in fires in some areas. But just to give you some context in the range of uh, in, in relation to climate change, uh, the fire weather season. So basically, the weather conditions under which relatively extreme fires can occur, which is linked to humidity, wind lack um, uh, of precipitation, as well as those those high temperatures, that has basically increased by over 50% on average across the globe. If you look at North America, the North American conifer forests, we have a 50% increase in the area burned by wildfires. So we're definitely seeing a huge impact uh, around the world. We're also seeing fires moving into areas where they, as you said earlier, shouldn't or normally wouldn't burn. So for example, northern peatlands under permafrost, they're very, very rarely burn. Greenland, for example, has seen wildfires, and this is undoubtedly going to increase in the future. There's no question about this.
0: Uh, and Nigel, I want to just talk to you also about the, the jet stream, because is the way, the, the meander of the, the jet stream changing in, in this warming air, is that having a particular effect on heating over where there's major industrialization, majorly industrialised countries?
2: Yes, well, that's one of the reasons why actually projecting the consequences of climate change can be really quite tricky. As a first approximation as we increase our greenhouse gases, temperature rises. That's relatively straightforward. So you would expect on first principles that as temperature goes up, the chance of heat waves and so on goes up. But because the weather systems, such as the position of the jet stream are also changed, it makes it a bit more challenging to work out what direction, uh, whether you're gonna see more or less um, storms, for example. But I think the, the sorts of conditions that generate heat waves, um, we're, we would expect those to increase as well the, the meteorological conditions would increase, as well as seeing the effect of the increased temperature. But when we're looking at storms and floods and so on, it gets more complicated
0: because the position of the jet stream then, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, becomes much more significant. OK. Stephen, uh, is it getting harder to persuade people to put climate change at the top of the agenda? I say this because now people are tired of the pandemic, people are worried about the economy... Is climate change still a priority? Are you finding that people are saying, well, it's happening, we've got to put up with it, we've got other things to worry about. Is it a challenge to still keep climate change as a major issue? I think we,
1: we need to push to keep it um at the top of the agenda. And it has been in, in a lot of countries for a while. So environmental concerns have have been high um, if you look at look at surveys. But as you say, there are there are other things that are that are on people's minds. But I, I think it's about you know demonstrating how Action on climate change uh, is an investment rather than a cost, showing that you know, we need to do this, it has benefits. And you know events like we're seeing um, now in Europe and, and other places around the world, you know, they are a wake-up call for for politicians you know, and, and and leaders that to, you know the time to act is, is now.
0: I, I, I say, you say they're a wake-up call, but in the US, Joe Manchin, the US Democratic se- Senator, has effectively reje- rejected a compromised climate bo- v- bill, and one recent poll in the US said 1% of voters cited climate change as the most important issue, and for under 30s, it was just 3%, whereas two years ago, people were taking to the streets. Why has there been that change?
1: I think there's um you know there are other things uh, that have come up in the last couple of years so COVID being one um Putin's invasion of Ukraine being another and so there are there are issues that that people are um are concerned about but I think you know this is a a long-term issue that needs um short-term action It needs immediate action and so um, I think it's up to you know leaders of countries it's up to Um, Treasuries, uh, you know, ministries of economy and finance to uh, recognise that this is a problem that they uh,
0: need to invest in and
1: uh, invest in the solutions for.
0: Nigel, if all the promises made at COP26 were kept, would that keep us below a global 2% temperature rise now? Is it too late? It depends on how you interpret the promises. But at the moment,
2: the pledges that are on the table um, from COP would take us to a temperature increase of about two and a half to three degrees, depending on how they're implemented. Um, An optimistic interpretation uh, gives us a chance of getting below two degrees, but a pessimistic interpretation would take us up to three or so. So at the moment, I think it's definitely not the case that the commitments that countries have made are sufficient to keep us with an increase in temperature below two degrees, and whether even those commitments are followed through uh, with changing economic circumstances and so on, um, it remains to be seen. But to be honest, even with an increase in temperature of just under two degrees, we would still continue to get the sorts of extreme events that we have now. So keeping the rise in temperature to two degrees is, is by no means safe. We're already committed to really substantial Increases in risk from fires, from heat waves, from storms, and so on. So we really, really need to reduce emissions so that we don't end up with catastrophic increases in heat waves, fires, and so on. But we do need to adapt. We need to invest in resilience in order to cope with the inevitable changes in
0: extremes that we're going to see. Stefan, I see you nodding away there. What What's your view on on, on the commitment to keep us below a two percent uh, rise in global temperatures?
3: Absolutely essential. If we end up at three percent, we basically have a severely increased, or rather, unrecognizable, really, fire weather pretty much everywhere in the world. So we really must not arrive at this. But we've already we've already seen this increase, very dramatic increase in many areas of the world. And one thing that's probably worth adding here is, um, other than reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we also have the ability to manage our vegetation better. Because if you look at the Mediterranean area, for example, we now have many more areas forested that were traditionally much more open. These are much more flammable. We're also seeing wildfires in um, Argentina, in Chile, in Portugal that are fanned or fueled, rather, by eucalypt species that are alien species that are used for pulp production, great for income, but very, very flammable. So in combination, there is still quite a lot we can do and must do to reduce the risk.
0: And Stephen, from the World Wide Fund's point of view, in terms of the the, the climate risk from global warming, keeping that temperature to below, uh, keeping the rise to below two, uh, to below under two degrees, how significant do you think it is that we try and keep that promise?
1: Well, I think the promise is even stronger than that. It's you know we want to see um, the limit at one and a half degrees rather than two degrees, and mm. and the reason we say that you know countries in Paris put you know, well below two and. Um, pursuing efforts to one and a half degrees. And the reason they've chosen that is partly because of science and partly because of politics. And so, you know, we know from the IPCC that there are huge differences in, in risk between one and a half and two degrees. So on whether this be on people, whether this be on, on nature. And so we need to, from a risk management point of view and an, uh, an investment point of view, if, if nothing else, is to limit as hard as possible, and, and we're saying that that's one and a half degrees, which the co- governments have signed up to in the Paris Agreement.
0: Nigel, do scientists even agree on, on what a heat wave is? I mean, forty degrees in the UK is extreme, but here in Doha, unfortunately, it's a it's a normal day. What what is a what is a heat wave?
2: Well, one of the things that we agree on is that heat wave is based on context. Um, So you cannot have a consistent global definition of a heatwave because we are used in different parts of the world to different types of extremes. Um, My students I have here on one of my um, master's courses, a lot of them from uh, the global south, um, they spent the first term complaining how cold it was in Reading. Uh, We were perfectly fine with that. Um, Now these same students are wondering why we're complaining about so hot it is. So there is no one definition of heatwave because it depends very much on where you are. Although there are some absolute physiological limits um, and 40 to 42 is probably getting towards some of those where it's just physically impossible to do work. But other than the the big physiological limits, then what how a heat wave is interpreted depends very much on local circumstances, how you're acclimatised and how your infrastructure and how your buildings work, which is based on what you've expected weather to be in the past.
0: OK. Uh, Stefan, I wanted to also ask you the, the question I posed before about trying to keep uh, climate change on the agenda, keep it on the top of the list. Do you find that the people you're dealing with, your students, uh, are, understand that climate change is a, one of the most important issues facing uh, the planet at the moment?
3: Certainly the, the students we we have here in Swansea, I would say that they are extremely aware of this. This is also partly, of course, the courses we give and the choice they make to come Uh, come to study uh, at Swansea University. Uh, But generally speaking, if you talk to anybody about wildfires, they very often now talk about climate change. And of course, wildfires have always been normal in many parts of the world, but they're changing very rapidly. And people are becoming more and more aware of this, even in in cities where people are not exposed to them, perhaps by smoke, but not necessarily to the fires themselves. Thanks to you, the media, they are acutely aware of that problem.
0: Stephen, weren't soaring fuel prices supposed to spark a rush towards alternative fuels. And in, instead, we have Joe Biden only the other day come to the Middle East, trying to get them to pump more oil. Isn't that frustrating? Haven't they picked anything up from what you've been saying? Yeah, clearly, you know, the idea that,
1: um, you know, we... So I, I'm in the UK and, you know, we have a, still have a, a high fossil fuel energy mix. Um, and, you know, had we invested more in renewables, had we invested more in... Uh, energy efficiency, so insulating buildings and like, we wouldn't be so um, so attuned to shifting prices of of oil and gas and and locked into that. So you know, it is about the right infrastructure and moving away from from fossil infrastructure.
0: Nigel, global warming, as we've mentioned before, is making extreme heat more common all over the world. But are these specific events, I know we touched on, it, touched on it before, but a bit more explanation, are these specific weather events more likely or more intense because of the human-induced warming?
2: Absolutely. absolutely. That's unequivocal that they're, if not generated directly by human activity, then they're made much more likely or more intense or more frequent due to human activity. I think that the, the scientific community is is pretty clear on that and the report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change um, produced last year, a summary um, based on the work of hundreds of of scientists reviewing very, very high credibility evidence has concluded that uh, human activity is creating uh, increased conditions for these sorts of extreme events. So I think there's, there's
0: very little scientific doubt about what's going on. And Stefan, you would concur with that? What was your view on that?
3: Oh, 100%. There's, there's no question about this, um, and we have clear evidence. As I said, nearly everywhere in the world, we, we're seeing this strong increase in fire weather. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to burn more because you need an ignition and you need the fuel. But if you bring this together, if you combine this extreme weather um, with an ignition, that could be lightning, that could be arson, that could be an accident, that could be a barbecue that's left behind. And then with, with the fuel, the dry vegetation, you have a fire event. And they are becoming more and more difficult to tackle. So it's not just that we're seeing more area burn, because in some areas of the world we see less fire because there's nothing left to burn. We have more agricultural land. We're also very good at putting out fires early on. But once those fires grow to a certain size, they're then extremely difficult or nearly impossible to put out. This is essentially then due to the associated weather conditions.
0: Okay, And, Stephen, are we, once these heat waves have blown away, once it gets slightly back to normal across Northern Europe and North America. Will we, about, will we forget about this or will we move on to worrying about more day-to-day things? I think it's important to keep talking about
1: these issues. It's, you know, it's these things, uh, you know, they keep coming up and we keep um, hearing that they're linked to climate change and we need to do more. It's now... It's it's about implementation. So we know what we need to do and it's about, you know, putting... Um, you know, Increasing our amount of renewals. It's about increasing our resilience by investing in it, might be planting trees, it might be roads that are um, suitable for heating, it might be insulating
0: buildings, things like that we need to do more. Gentlemen, okay, thank you very much. We are unfortunately out of time, but thanks to our guest Stephen Cornelius, to Nigel Arnold, and to Stefan Durr. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Alaishi, Sama Aloni, Feng Yi Noyan, and Owen Franks. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The programme was edited by Manish Matai, Lynn Noyan, and Joe DeFreis. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.